We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Faviana Rodriguez, an interdisciplinary artist, cultural organizer, and political activist based in Oakland, California. Her art addresses migration, economic inequality, gender justice, and ecology. She's also the executive director of Culture Strike, a national arts organization that engages artists, writers, and performers in migrant rights. Faviana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited. I feel like we have the broadest range of questions today that we have had in a while. Yeah, no, and I love I love talking about boundaries and about how to communicate with your family members, and I definitely love talking about junk. Uh, oh, good. I, I, I haven't had a lot of questions about taking a stance on how much crap you should keep in your house. Yeah. So I'm excited to kind of tackle that today. Yeah, it's super appropriate because everyone's talking about decluttering. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm excited. Well, would you please be so good as to read our first question? Yes. First question. Subject. Dad keeps misgendering my cousin. Dear Prudence, my cousin is a trans man who has been out to the family for several years. He presents as male and has changed his name to a typically male one, though he also still uses a gender-neutral nickname that predates his transition. While the whole family supports my cousin and most of us use his name and pronouns without difficulty, my dad gets the pronouns wrong about half of the time. I've also noticed that he mainly uses my cousin's old nickname. Very occasionally, he'll slip and use his birth name, then usually notice and correct himself. I have no doubt this is a genuine mistake. My dad loves and supports his nephew, but he is not very savvy about LGBT issues in general, and I think on some levels struggles to really understand transition. I think he's trying and maybe getting a little bit more consistent over time, but it's been years now, exclamation point. Is there anything I can do to get him to be more consistent other than correcting him in the moment, which I always do, often with some irritation? This letter is really sweet, and Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that somebody's writing in on behalf of their cousin, like Mm -hmm. trying to think about, how can I help? I really love this question um, because sometimes when we have to confront our own family members and change behavior, it's actually one of the hardest things to do. We can so easily tell our friends or we can even tell social media to change something. But when it comes to our parents, it's harder. Um, I would actually suggest to talk about... Um, your feelings and to say what this makes me feel like Mm -hmm. is I feel 
um, that you're not recognizing my cousin's gender. Um, but I think intervening on behalf of the cousin, and I think that for the father to remember, it has to take an emotional intervention, something where the father's like, oh, wow, I not only do I remember being corrected, but now I remember that this actually invokes like a little bit of sadness or anger. So I, I feel like actually expressing feelings would be a great way to intervene. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. I think talking about how it, how it feels for you, I think doing it in private mm-hmm. is good so that he doesn't feel kind of caught on the spot. And, and to bring it up before it happens again or before you're all together again, I think one of the things that can be really hard um, for trans people, especially with our families, is um, whenever we tell people, like, this is my name, this is my pronouns, um, a lot of times really well-meaning people will say some variation of, now I'm going to make mistakes. Now I'm going to get it wrong. Um, and they say it defensively. They say it often before they say almost anything else. Right. And they all say it. And again, that's not to say you're all monsters and you should never have said it and you're terrible people. But part of what that means is, um, like, I need you to know it will be your job to stay really calm and reasonable every time I make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And if you react in a way that shows that you're hurt, when I make that mistake, then I'm going to be hurt and it's kind of going to be on you for being reasonable and understanding and making sure that I can take kind of however long I want to catch up. Because as the letter writer says, it's been years. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, this is all brand new. It's not brand new. The problem is, I think, um, that the father in question has not spent any time imagining what his nephew's experience is like. Like, Right. If you really thought about your nephew and you thought about what his transition might be like and you thought about, you know, what he has done to kind of like um, uh, like affirm his own gender in, in, in the world, in his social life, in his family life, I think you would probably think of him as a guy and you would probably naturally use those terms. Well, actually, what you said really got me thinking about imagining because I do think that in order for someone to move into their imagination, they have to be taken there in their heart. Mm. And so I wonder also what it would be like to just encourage the dad to be more curious. Like, what's the story around the name that the cousin chose? Um, Why did they choose it? Um, and, and, And sort of asking questions so that they can put themselves in that position and be like, oh, wow, this this name is really interesting because and therefore I'm going to remember it. I think also that what's unique about this is that um, it's not putting the labor of explaining on the cousin. Mm -hmm. Actually, the person who wrote this letter is um, wanting to intervene. And I think that's a great step because I also think that it's not just on the trans person to consistently have to, you know, correct and and explain. Mm -hmm. So, and then also that if it's um, this writer's dad, then there's even more actually closeness there. Yes. Yeah, so I think you can bring it up and say something like, I've noticed that um, about half the time you slip up with, you know, Charlie's pronouns. Um, I've noticed it, and it, it feels a little uncomfortable and a little hurtful. Have you noticed that you're kind of the the only one doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not in a way that's like really aggressive or really like you should feel terrible, but just sort of like, I've noticed this. Have you noticed it too? Right. Um, and, and then, like we were saying, share a little bit about what it feels like and say, you know, um, 
if it would be helpful um, to kind of like check in a little bit before we're all together as a family or if it would help a little to talk about, you know, what does it what does it look like? What would it mean? What can you imagine it would feel like to have to transition in order to get people to affirm right. your gender? Um, that might be helpful, mm-hmm. um, especially if you do that before you all get together so that he's thinking like, oh, right, I'm consciously doing a little work. And and at this point also, there's uh, stories of transgender people throughout our pop culture. I mean, another thing, there could be like a movie night or there can be even like watching short videos on like now this, you know, yeah. there's all kinds of of places um, where uh, the father can just be exposed to, you know, other stories that will help him being like, OK, now I see that this is important. Yes. Yeah. And so offer him that opportunity, encourage him to do something different because it's like it's been a couple of years. I know you have tried. You're, you're putting in the effort. That's great. That also hasn't kind of gotten you to where you clearly want to be. Is there something else we can be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that will probably go a long way towards helping your dad um, think slightly differently about yes. the situation. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right, so this next one feels like very much in the same vein of like, how do we talk to our family members about things we would like to change that don't alienate them completely, but also kind of get us what we need? Right. Would you read this letter? Yes. I love um, thinking about consumerism. (laughs) Subject, how to refuse homemade gifts. Dear Prudence, my husband and I bought a house in the same city as his family. His mother and two sisters are friendly and very pleasant. The problem is that I can't stand clutter and they are enthusiastic crafters. For Christmas, they gave me all sorts of homemade knickknacks because our house looks so bare. Some of the gifts are embroidered pictures with expensive frames. And I was just told where they should be hung. Some are painted ceramic figures for the mantle. They look awful. I feel depressed with all this clutter, and I want to tell them that I love them, but our tastes are different. My husband doesn't like the doodads, but thinks the important thing is to not hurt their feelings. I don't want to, but if I don't stop it now, every Christmas and birthday will bring more clutter into our house. Their own houses are crammed full of this stuff. Any suggestions? Um... Again, this is, I feel like it's so hard to set boundaries with family members. And I also think that, you know, first, I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm 40 and I, when I was growing up, I don't even think I heard the word boundaries. I think the concept of boundaries is actually a fairly recent concept, which means that most likely the, the, the mom in this scenario maybe doesn't even have any idea about what boundaries are and there's there's this still old pra- I don't want to say old practice but there's an outdated practice that says that we have to um uh please our family members uh-huh. by appeasing them and by not challenging them and just by kind of 
uh, going with the flow. And I, I actually think that it's an important practice in any situation, whether it's like, hey, put the toilet seat down or can you please wash your dishes or can you please, you know, not use soap on my iron skillet, mm-hmm. things like that. I actually think it's important to practice with those kinds of situations Um in order to be able to just speak for what you need. I mean, your living space is your sacred space. And to be able to say, you know, I'm I'm very particular around how I decorate my space. I, 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 I have a particular way I go about it. And um, I, I would prefer if you don't make things mm-hmm. for me, but I understand maybe we can do something different together. Like, okay, Planting a flower in a pot is way different than making a, a knickknack. Yeah. And it is hard because when somebody makes you something, it's already a much more personal gift. And so I understand that worry of, like, they'll feel rejected. And it's also hard because the letter writer's husband has clearly, like, spent the last however many years sort of saying, like, oh, I don't like it either, but I'm not going to say anything. Right. So there's sort of that fear of, like, because it sounds like the gifts were given directly to the letter writer. Um, yeah, and they're also getting instructions around where to put them, which is just, ugh. Yeah, this is a very involved gift. So ideally, you could get your husband on board with this and maybe even have him, like, communicate to them, hey, we really like to decorate our house as, like, this way. So if you're looking for future presents for us, um, you know, don't get us anything for the house because we're totally done filling yeah. it. I like that, actually, what what you're proposing, because the thing is that the husband does have a closer relationship, most likely. And right. the husband is the one who actually does not want to um, have any kind of intervention or say anything. But that's exactly why I think part of maybe what the writer has to do is just say, Look, I mean, this, and really just say why it's meaningful mm-hmm. to have the ability to decorate your space. And also, frankly, you know, I, I have friends who are zero waste activists like it. This is all stuff yeah. that you and it's it's energy put into stuff that in the end might end up in a box. It's just may as well cut the consumering at the very beginning yeah. and either try to redir- redirect their generosity or, um, yeah, just say why is it so hard to say that we don't like it? Yeah. Because the way that it's delivered is so passive aggressive. It's, it's like, so, gosh. I made this. This is a representation of who I am. But I'm not going to suggest that I get anything out of it because it's a gift. This is actually all for you. Mm. When it's like, actually, you're getting something out of this. Yeah. Um, so, I yeah, ideally, your husband can communicate this. Mm-hmm. If he is unwilling um, then I think it's fair to say, like, if you're not willing to, I will. I would I would love it if I could at least get your support in saying something myself. Um, but I am going to push back because I do not want a house full of clutter. Yeah. So I, I think to just say, thank you so much. This is so kind and generous. We actually love having a house that looks really bare. I'm afraid that we can't accept any gifts for decorating our home with. Um, it, and, and leave, like, let that be known so that if they do it again... All you have to do is say, now, this is very thoughtful, but as you remember, we're not accepting any gifts for decorating the home, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to donate this. Knowing that, would you prefer to take it back so that you can figure out somebody else who might enjoy it? Yeah. You know what's also so interesting about just how we're thinking about this conversation? And it's just a question, but why is it so hard to say, I don't like it? I don't like it. Mm. And, And it's the same thing, I think, just in terms of, 
in friendships or in romantic relationships or even, you know, in, in, in any kind of sens- sensual interaction, mm-hmm. it's it's harder to say, hey, you know what, like, don't just, you know, come and give me a massage or, no, actually, I don't like that you're doing that. Yeah. Or I don't like this tone. It's so hard to just say, I don't like it. It doesn't bring me joy. Yeah. And that's just, I feel like that's a, a cultural problem in our society. But I actually think it's very disempowering to not be able to say what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um because then when you do like something, you can be super enthusiastic about it. It would be amazing if there was just more of a sort of general acceptance that when we got gifts, we could say, oh, this is so thoughtful of you. I don't like it. Yeah. And then the other person would be like, oh, thank you for telling me. I'm sorry. I thought that you would. But, you know, nobody yeah. can predict and somebody else perfectly. Not to mention it would actually reduce our consumer culture. Yeah. I, I could certainly do with less stuff myself. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe just in general, let's all commit to getting a little closer to at least when we give gifts saying like if you don't like it please tell me and i will never get you anything like it ever again yeah that would be ideal but yeah i i think you just have to go with a straightforward we're not going to accept any more gifts like this in the future and whatever there but it's so beautiful but your house is so bare but i spent so much time on it you can just hold firm and say as i told you we're not doing this but also even that's their opinion yeah yeah. It's like your house is so bare. That's such a it's an opinion. Yeah, I love how bare the house is. Yeah. I think it looks fantastic and it makes me happy. Yeah. Please enjoy all of your stuff in your home. Um <laughs> Yes. But yeah, and then just hold that line. And mm-hmm. it's fine if you get a reputation as like the weird in-law who doesn't like presents. It's going to be better than having a bunch of like ceramic painted shepherdesses all over Ugh. your house. That's unpleasant unless yeah. you love shepherdesses. All right. This next letter, I think it's your turn to read, if you Great. don't mind. Yes. Subject. Poisonous pals. Dear Prudence, I am queer, trans, and in college. I am lucky enough to have a supportive family, both emotionally and financially. A lot of my friends are not so lucky. Shitty families and student loans tend to be the byword. But it feels like I get handed the bill more often than not because I can, quote, afford it, end quote. We all agree to order pizza, but I end up paying for most of it. People, quote, forget their wallets and make jokes about my, quote, allowance from my parents. I got grief for expecting a friend to pay for couch surfing with me for two months, even though we had agreed upon it at the beginning and I was spending my own money on their specific grocery needs. What got me questioning all this was getting out of a toxic relationship where I spent every second being interrogated for signs of cheating. We broke up, but I wasn't allowed to be upset since my family dynamics were healthy and normal while hers were awful. So she gets to treat me like trash. I was late to a party, so she demanded to see my phone and go through it. I refused, so she grabbed it out of my hand, threw it on the ground, and stomped on it. This happened in full view of all of our friends, and a lot of them still treat me like I was in the wrong. I am grateful my family didn't turn out to be like so many of my friends, but I don't know what to do. This feels wrong to me. Am I seeing things? What should I do? Okay, lot there is a lot here. Yeah. I I mean just I think just one thing sort of as a as as like a headline is that when you feel that somebody is not treating you right, um it's 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 really especially if you see it in a in a repeating cycle whether it's with the partner or whether it's your friends 
it's really important to stop that cycle and to actually have consequences if if those things continue. And I think that, you know, going back to what are un- what, what is unacceptable behavior, if there's a pattern where anytime there's pizza ordered, the writer is saying that they have to pay for it, then you just should not order pizza anymore, you know, or you should try to find a way to come with your own lunch. But just to ensure that things are not um, repeating themselves. So I, I, I do have a little bit of concern that these things um, keep happening. But I, um, I think that the first step is to actually say, hey, I don't like that. And no, I'm not going to pay. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would spend a little more time on that if it weren't for the second half of the letter, which right. I think does clarify some of this because, mm-hmm. you know, between you were in a relationship where you were being uh, constantly monitored right. for something that you weren't doing um, and, and that either she said you weren't allowed to be upset over your breakup or your friends felt that you weren't allowed to be upset over your breakup because your family hasn't abandoned you. Is really dark. Yeah. Um, and, and then especially yeah. if, uh, you know, your friends saw your partner grab your phone out of your hand and destroy it because you showed up late and they didn't do anything. They didn't intervene in the moment. They didn't stop her from doing it. They didn't afterwards, like, try to help you get out. Um that, to me, says these are not friends where you need to worry about establishing right. boundaries with them. These are bad friends. Yes. And and actually, let, let's even go to the perception they have of themselves. Because mm-hmm. here they say, we have an emo- we have, I have a supportive family, both emotionally and financially. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, you find yourself in these situations. So I think, actually, to assume that because you have a lot of love at home and because you have financial support... To assume that you are able then, you, you're then set up to be able to have all the answers. That's not true. And in fact, if um, it also, uh, it, it, it feels like there's a little bit of um, like poor judgment in selecting friends. Mm-hmm. So I would actually delve into that. That comes from somewhere. Maybe with a therapist. Yeah, with a therapist. Delve into that because even though you may have come from a great family emotionally and financially, the people you're surrounding yourself with are not a reflection of that, mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily align with um, with some of the ways that you may be perceiving yourself. And, and so I, I think that it's important to think, if I'm finding myself in these situations more than once, and um, I'm not getting out of the situations as, as, as fast as I can, knowing also that they are able to mm-hmm. because they do have a financially and emotionally supportive family so they can definitely talk to their family about it they don't they, they're not you know there's no financial there's not like there's not things that necessarily may uh, they have access to yes. more more a bit, they, they have more access to things than than their friends then i would say then think about why are you why do you find yourself in this situation over and over again that that is a part of the area that needs to be looked at. Right, right. And I think, again, that's not to say that, like, you should make yourself responsible right, for of the course. poor treatment, especially from your ex. Um, but to kind of say, uh, and again, you know, college is often when we, for the first time, develop relationships with people who aren't in our family that are really, like, um, 
intimate day to day. We like live near one another. Sometimes we live near together. So this is when everybody figures things out or starts to figure things out. So I don't mean to suggest that you should have been like, man, I should have got it in a perfect right out of the gate. But, you know, if your school has on-campus counseling sessions, I think spend a little time with the question, is there a part of me that feels guilty for not being rejected by my family? And like I have somehow betrayed other queer and trans people Mm -hmm. who have had it worse. And am I kind of seeking out a situation where I allow these people to like be really rude to me or take advantage of me or tell me I don't deserve to have any boundaries because my mom and dad didn't throw me out of the house. Right. That's a really unhealthy dynamic. That's not going to serve you well. It completely is. And actually, I I even think um, this sense of um, deserving um, less better treatment because of uh, some conditions of privilege, I Mm -hmm. I think is, is, is concerning. So, you know, as someone who has been in an abusive relationship before, I think that toxic relations and abuse happen to everyone. And I also think that often a toxic relationship is a reflection of a pattern. It's a reflection of decisions. And to stop and to think about not only am I having a toxic romantic relationship, but it also is carrying over into my personal relationships what can I do differently to attract different kinds of people and to actually surround myself with people who treat me X, Y, Z? These are the ways I want to get treated. I think it's important to not just name what you don't want, but to actually in a journal or with a therapist is to really make a list of the things you do want. How do you want to feel with your friends? How do you want to feel supported? What, Like really visualize that so that you also have a sort of meter and you're able to know, oh, when I see this behavior, I know that I'm going down this path. And it's an alarm for me. It's a stop. And that's when I need to change course or do some self-reflection. Yeah. So absolutely, you are seeing things clearly. You're not making this up. Um, I'm so glad you're out of this relationship. I hope if you are not already completely cutting off contact with this ex that you can start doing that now. Um, And I think you need to do the same to these friends. And that might feel pretty lonely for a little while. Um, But I think it will give you an opportunity both to reflect in therapy and on your own. What do I want to be around? What kind of people do I want in my life? How do I want to be treated by my friends? Um, And it will also, um, yeah, give you some time to look for different kinds of people who do different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean you can only be friends with people who also have love and supportive families. Um, But it does mean that regardless of what somebody's relationship with their family of origin looks like, they have ways of meeting their own emotional needs so that they're not working out their own resentments, fears, insecurities with their families of origin on you. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to, to remind yourself that while it is true and sad that many queer and trans people do experience rejection, both financial and emotional, from their families of origin, um, that's not a condition of being queer and trans. Right. That's not something that like naturally goes hand in hand with it. So it doesn't mean that you are like entering the queer and trans game already doing it wrong and that you need to make up for it somehow. Um, I, I, yes. That will just be— Agreed. Good to think through. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you just need a lot of time away from these people. These are not – the most generous way I can describe some of these friends is that they need a lot of work before they can be good friends. Yes. And then some of them are just clearly um, letting abuse go by without a blink of an eye. Um, grabbing and destroying your phone is such a 
such an act of like violence. It's a violation. It, yeah, it's a violation of like how you communicate with other people. Mm-hmm. It signals like you don't have the right to privacy. You don't have the right to communication. Ugh. Next time, who knows what of your stuff it's going to be. These people mm-hmm. act entitled to your boundary, your, your stuff, your money. They're bad friends, bad lovers. You deserve so much better. Yes. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. All right. Next letter is slightly more hopeful in the sense that, like, there's still a difficult family dynamic, but at least it's not quite at the level of, like, destroying your stuff and making you feel like it's your fault. And I think it's your turn. So I'll let you read it. Great. Subject. Are you there, MFK Fisher? It's me, Margaret. Dear Prudence, when I was down on my luck as a youth, some neighbors took me in. They gave me a place to stay when I was homeless and fed me when I couldn't afford to feed myself. They made me a part of the family, and I'm very grateful. However, like a family, there is some friction, particularly between the matriarch and everyone else. Over the last couple of years, my life has improved enormously, and I even have a little money now. Not enough to move out, but enough to pay rent, buy my own food, and have a small social life. The food is especially important to me because the matriarch is the only person in the house who is, quote, allowed to cook, and she is frankly terrible at it. Everyone else is used to it, but I find it disgusting and have started feeding myself sandwiches, takeout, microwave soups, thereby missing some group meals. I used to always eat her cooking because I had no other options. She has started to notice and is taking it personally, acting passive-aggressively. I've never said anything directly to her, and I always have a polite excuse, spending the evening with friends, etc. It's making me uncomfortable and even more avoidant. I'm not the only person she has problems with. She's called to her child for wearing the wrong clothing, to her spouse for practicing religion incorrectly. I just want to keep my head down, privately eat my vegetables, and enjoy my close relationship with the other people in the house. How do I balance living my own life with the depth of gratitude I owe this woman for generously feeding me when I was hungry? Hmm. I mean, I feel like you got to work on moving out. Yeah, I think I, that's... This is, uh, this is a, a, a sort of kind of classic situation when, when you're with a family and... The matriarch is the matriarch, and that's her home, and there's rituals and there's customs. I think the best thing is to start having an exit plan because it sounds like you want to have your own rituals and, and your, your your customs and to kind of work towards that. And I think that um, in the—I mean, uh, this is a hard one because cooking is such a nourishing act. And, and people—yeah, it's bound people, up with a lot of feelings. And, oh, gosh. And it's also—yeah, it's— it's how people take care of their families. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that part of what I sense here is that this person wants is also craving some freedom. They have social life. Uh, they like to prepare their own meals. I think it's actually great to prepare your own meals. I mean, it's an act of independence. Yeah. I mean, if you lived in my house, all of this would feel real reasonable to me. Yeah. Um, but sadly, you don't. And I, and I, I think that um, I also think that 
you can do something special for the matriarch to actually show her your gratitude. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be by accepting the way that she cooks. It could be something like writing a really nice letter or saying, you know what, now I can afford to get you a beautiful plant or a bouquet of flowers Mm. because I just want to say I am so grateful to you. In case I have not said that, I want to say that. Um, You can't rely on these gestures of like, it's like, the matriarch can't read your mind. So even if you do show up to dinner or you don't, how do you know that that's pleasing her or not? I mean, how do you know where her passive aggressiveness is coming from? Mm. I mean, the other thing is to just to say, hey, you know, I've been, um, you know, I just I've been changing the way I eat because I'm like just trying to learn how to be independent. And I have a, some special needs around how I want to eat. Um, but no, no, um, you know, no offense. Maybe one day I can cook for you. You are always cooking. Can I cook for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if her answer to that is like, no way I'd be insulted. Okay. You've got your answer. Um, but that's certainly like a kind way to kind of try the idea out. Right. But yeah, I do think there are some short term ways to diffuse the situation. One is, you know, look for ways if you haven't already to really express how much it's meant to you. Um, another one is to offer to either help cook or to cook for her. Um, another is to, you know, accept the occasional act of passive aggressiveness if that means you still get to have a couple meals out a week. Um, but the biggest one is going to be, you know, you're already able to pay rent and buy food and socialize. So that tells me you're not super, super far away from being able to move out. Right. I mean, it's not like you have no income of any kind. So I, I think the real thing to start doing is research, like, what is it going to cost me to move out? Like, what's the bare minimum of paying for every single moving expense I can think of? And how long is it going to take me to get there? And then, you know, who are some of the people maybe that I'm socializing with or maybe one or two other people in this house who would be interested in trying to find a place with me? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just finding a room in a house with a bunch of roommates where they're like, everybody takes care of their own meals. We don't care what you do for food. Right. That's going to be... I think they have to change their surroundings. It's, It's time. Yeah. So again, that may not be feasible in the next two months, but if you can make that happen... Get it. Get a light at the end of the tunnel that yeah. you can focus on. Yeah, set some set set a goal for twenty nineteen. Yeah, um, because it, it sounds like she is the head of this household. Nobody, including her partner, is going to challenge her on much of anything. You may be able to get her to like settle down a little bit once you make it clear how much you're grateful, how much you appreciate her, that you're not trying to just like disrespect her in her own home, but ultimately. Yeah, that's her home. She's going to run it like she wants. She's not going to change. you got to get out of there. Because, yeah, yeah, it's amazing they've been able to help you. That's fabulous. It does not mean you have to live there the rest of your life. Right. Um, And it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to eventually get frustrated with some of the ways that they run their home. Mm -hmm. This was good in an emergency. You're you're in less of an emergency now. Correct. All right. Last one. (laughs) Keeping with the theme. The subject is disappointing my parents. Dear Prudence. I am a sophomore in college, and I recently told my mom I've changed my major and that I no longer want to be a doctor. She ranted about how selfish I am for not choosing a career that will allow me to take care of her when she's old and that I'll never find a job. According to her, she's always thought of me as a selfish person, but she never told me to be, quote, nice, which was extremely hurtful to hear. Then she and my dad said they will no longer pay for my tuition. I'm currently looking for a second job to cover my costs for school, and I haven't spoken to my mother since this happened. She keeps calling me, but I'm so angry that I have no idea what to say to her. Part of me wants to apologize and go back to being pre-med just so all of this will be over. How can I fix this so that everyone is happy? 
Wow, this is like exactly my story. Really? Yeah, I, I, I was going to Cal. I, my, my parents had me on math and science since I was a child. I would have a math tutor. I'd go to science camp on Oof. the summers and Saturdays. And I always wanted to be an artist. And when I got to Cal after three years here, uh, two years here, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't live my parents' dream. Mm. And I think that, you know, um, especially as a Latina, um, I think that there are strong cultural messages that say that we have to live out our parents' dream. And I would say absolutely not. You have your own life. In fact, parents should not bring children into this world in order to make a in order to live out their dreams every human being can live their lives and they get to shape that and so i think it's actually really important to follow what you want to do especially in college when you can actually try so many different things out you can change your major so many different times it's like the time to really explore what you want to do in your career um i think it's imperative that you actually do that and mm-hmm. that and, and I know this is going to be hard my parents didn't accept it till from the age of 17 to, to 28 almost 10 years they didn't accept that I wanted to be an artist mm-hmm. until I started bringing home the money um, but I also understand sometimes that this thing that parents have to be taken care of and that is just such a hardcore pressure mm-hmm. that I think that um, needs to just be let go because it doesn't allow you to focus on the present and it's just way too much responsibility. I think you should follow what you want to do. I think if you don't want to be a doctor, absolutely don't be a doctor. And pre-med, oh my God, what a painful career. And also, um, if you need to cover your own tuition, you need to cover your own tuition. That's just what it is. Yeah, there's a couple of things. You know, I totally hear at the end of this, like, Part of me just wants to take it back. This is the first time my mom's brought up the big guns, right, of like, we're cutting off money. By the way, I've always thought you were selfish. I just never taught you how to be nice and what a mistake that was. And also I want you to imagine me, you know, 40 years from now dying alone in an old folks home because of what you're doing today. It's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of manipulation, too. That's a lot of manipulation. And when you say part of me wants to just go back to being pre-med so all of this will be over, it won't be over. Because she's already told you what her expectations are, which is that you become a doctor so that you can take care of her financially for the rest of her life. If your vision for your life does not include that, this will not be over ever, right? Like, And that's not to say you two are going to have to be in constant battle with each other for the rest of your life. But unless your plan is go to med school, go to like become a resident, become a doctor, pay back your medical school loans, and then start sending money to your mother every month. Um, this will not, you, you can't put this off indefinitely. Yeah. And um, I also think that the sooner you confront your mother and you say, this is my life, mm-hmm. I'm going to do with my life what I please. And honestly, also forget being nice. Nice doesn't get you anywhere. You know, you got to be bold. You got to be, you know, really chase what you want in this life, uh, especially in the age of inequality. Nice doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, So I even think this perception of, oh, you know, you have to be a nice person to take care of your parent is so it's such a passive um, sort of identity. And I encourage you to really have a conversation with your mom and to be able to say, this is what I want to do. And I cannot 
juggle a responsibility of taking care of anyone when I am just entering my own sense of freedom. The sooner you can start saying that, this will lessen this kind of pressure. Because I can tell you from personal experience, and now I just turned 40, I am only now having a conversation with my mom about boundaries and these sort of unrealistic expectations. And I can tell you it's a very hard thing to have. But to be able to have it with your mother, which is the ultimate power dynamic in your in your life, yep. is going to free you yeah. in everything else. Because if you can tell your mother, you will be able to tell anyone, yeah. like, hey, nope, I'm going to do what my, I'm going to follow my dreams and I'm going to follow my voice. Yeah. So I, I, I hear from this letter that you don't want to, like, tell your mom to jump off a cliff. And I appreciate that. And I'm not going to encourage you to, like, say the maximally... Um, like confrontational thing to her. But I think that what you need to say to your mom, now that she's communicated to you what her expectations are, which is switch your major back to pre-med, take care of me until I die. Um, And I think you need to say to your mom, I'm not going to change my major back to pre-med. I'm majoring in this. I'm happy to talk about your concerns, but ultimately the decision is mine. If that means you decide to pull back financial support, that will be difficult for me, but you know, I'm an adult and I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, and then also to say, my plan for my life does not involve supporting you financially forever. Right. So if that has been your retirement plan, I want you to know now. Oh, yeah. You cannot count on me. Yes. You need to start making different arrangements right now while you still have lots of time mm-hmm. so that you cannot, uh, you know, don't give her a reason to 20 or 25 years from now say, you're just bringing this on me now. How could this have happened? You can, you can, Again, hopefully you'll have made some progress in that time, but you can say, actually, I've been real clear about this one from the beginning. You cannot count on me as a retirement plan. That is a really great thing to do. I mean, that's I'm going to take that advice, too. Um, but I think naming it, actually, mm-hmm. you know, if I would have named it when I was 18 years old, it would have been such a different story. You actually then just have to reiterate it. But also to give people a heads up that they actually need to do their own financial planning. I mean, mm-hmm. because obviously this writer has to do their own financial planning yes. now. But to be able to say that, I think, is not only empowering, but it's also like a gesture of kindness because it's like you're giving your mother a heads up. Yeah, absolutely. You, you do not have to be as, you know, I, I understand that like niceness is not always the, the highest good. But like just because she was really unkind to you doesn't mean you have to be unkind back. You can very kindly state super reasonable boundaries. Mm-hmm. So in addition to having that conversation with her, you know, give yourself a little time, plan what you want to say, talk through it with some friends, maybe write down in a journal some of the like angrier stuff you don't want to actually say so that you can have the conversation when you're ready. Um, but tell her those things. And then also, you know, talk to the Department of like Financial Services and Financial Aid mm-hmm. like, on campus. You know, uh, ask around, see if there are any scholarships you might be eligible for that you don't yet have you know, keep looking for that second job and and think about like a number of contingency plans. Like, are there nearby community colleges that you can transfer to if you need to um, in order to save even more money? Mm-hmm. What are some of your options that aren't just taking out massive loans? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, think through that really carefully because you may very well have to pay for the rest of college by yourself. Yes. Um, but I think just be really prepared to say like, Mom, I love you. I'm not going to say the things like I'm not going to return your you've always been selfish with like, well, you've always been this. But um, I'm going to pursue a major that I think is interesting and will lead me in the direction of a field that I could actually enjoy having a career in. Um, 
That's and you it. and you hurt my feelings. Yeah, just and, FYI. Yeah, and I I don't think that's selfish of me. Yeah. Um, if you ever want to have a reasonable conversation about this, I'm available. But if you just want to yell at me, I'm going to hang up the phone and go do yeah. something else. And that's going to yeah. be hard. You know, you're a sophomore in college. This is brand new stuff. This is a really big threat she's hitting you with. So get as much help and support as you can right. in college where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, but do not just become a doctor so that you can send your mom money every month and then also get yelled at. Because my guess is she's going to find reasons to yell at you no matter how much you do for her. Exactly. Yeah. She does not sound like the kind of mom who's like super appreciative when you <laughs> do stuff for her. Uh, well, we did it. Yes. We answered a lot of questions. And um, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about family dynamics and family dynamics. Oh, I know. Dynamics family and... dynamics are like the most complicated, but they're the most, in a way, they're very important to get yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't get that one right, um, you end up writing me a lot of letters about yeah. how happy you are. <laughs> and I want better than everyone. I want everyone listening to the podcast right now to never have to write into the podcast. That's my yeah. dream. For all of you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. And I didn't mention this at the top of the show, but I love your glasses so much. Oh, I thank wish you. everyone listening could see them. <laughs> They're fabulous. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton and production assistance by Taylor Simmons. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate+. Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute. Tops. Thanks for listening. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.